Recorded by The Way in Brea. Lead pastor Von Jarrett has a heart for the people at The Way and a desire to reach the lost. The Way's production department prays this message is a blessing to you and that you find yourself closer to God through application. the 350 just so the worship team knows I will personally give the rest of whatever doesn't come in because I love you guys I believe in you guys I want you to be blessed and uh, and I think you guys deserve it for all that you do amen amen, amen. amen. all right so please do that I think they're worth it year after year week after week they do that for us um, the second announcement is <laughs> is a rough one I'm gonna call up uh, mr. Raymond McKell Sarah McKell and uh, the twins Ash and Aaliyah if you guys would come up here. And the rest of the kids, you guys can come on up and sit in the front row if you want to for a minute. Amen. So uh, exciting day, exciting season, but also a, a challenging season for, for many of us. Um, we want to say that uh, this family has been so good to us, but they are going to be taking the next step in their journey. At the end of this month, they're going to be moving to Colorado, and, uh, which means they're going to be leaving us, but it's, it's, uh, it's the desire that God has. Amen. Uh, let's, let's give them a hand for all that they've done, all that they do. Um, so... What we wanted to do is, is to pray with them and to pray over them. The reason that the girls are here is they're not gone yet, so they're graduating this morning to go. They just had a birthday, so they're going to be going to the 7-Eleven class. But I wanted to take an opportunity to, uh, to briefly, otherwise we'll be here all day, to share the things that I want to share about you guys. Um, but I'll say uh, first... For, for you, Sarah, you've just been uh, a huge blessing. For you guys to be an elder and an elder's wife here in this church, um, I've known you for so long, Sarah, and I've watched your journey um, uh, with God and with family and with kids and with all the things that, that you've been through. Uh, and I just want to say that this last probably two years, uh, I've just been astonished with where you've been with God. Yeah. The way that you connect with him, the way that you um, have just uh, given yourself into leading, given yourself into blessing, given yourself and engaging our women, engaging just everyone, uh, uh, everybody that knows that's in ministry or leads a ministry here that I always have something to say, but I have nothing to say to you ever because you're just amazing lately. <laughs> it's been so good to watch. Um, uh, you know, Inez mentioned, mentioned what it means to be uh, discipled and what it means to be poured into and I thought about it earlier this morning that for you guys to be leaving, I've never been more confident in any one particular person that you guys are going to be fine, that you're going to follow the Lord, that you're going to serve God, and that you're going to have a close relationship with him even when you're gone from this place. So, Sarah, we love you. I love you. I'm just so proud of you. Amen. Amen. For, for, for Raymond, uh, this, is, this is what it looks like. For the, for the men who are here in this place, this is what a man of God looks like. This is, what it, this is what it looks like. This is what it looks like to be faithful. Uh, this is what it looks like to be um, your pastor's right-hand man. <laughs> this is what it looks like. The scriptures talk about Moses having his hands falling down and the, the church began to lose the battle. And then they would, lead, they would hold his hands up and they would win. And I can't tell you how many years it's been now 
where the people might not know it, but if you were not holding my arms up, man, this place would have fallen down a long time ago. Um, <clears throat> this man is, uh, <laughs> he's my brother-in-law. Uh, he's a little bit older than me. <laughs> and I don't, know how, I don't know how the rest of you guys look at that, but for him to allow me to disciple him, for him to allow me to speak into his life, um, for him to humble himself. I just don't know any other men that could do the things that you've done here in this place. Um, the, the gap that you are going to leave here, <laughs> I don't believe that it can really be filled. We're going to be a different church. It's going to be a different place. It's God's will, but we are not going to be the same. These shoes cannot be filled. You know, if, if anybody's looking for, for the opening of elder <laughs> that he's going to leave behind, it'll, it'll just cost you everything that's important to you. It'll just cost you to tithe and to offer. It'll just cost you to always be available. It'll just cost you to submit when you don't want to submit. It'll cost you to be here two or three days a week when nobody else is here. You'll be the person that gets with, with, the, with the, um, the owners of the building to move vehicles around and change carpet around and do fire extinguishers and, ex and all that kind of stuff. It'll just cost you your whole life if you want to fill these shoes, but the, the opening is there. <laughs> <laughs> But man, I wanna, I wanna be like you. I can't wait to see what else God does. I can't wait to see how God uses you there in Colorado. And uh, this isn't the, the end, in my opinion. It's just Amen. the beginning of the next chapter. Amen. 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 So if we could, if everybody could stand. And matter of fact, if you guys don't mind, why don't we come down? Anybody that feels compelled, you guys can come up and actually place a hand on this family. Kids, you young ones can circle around, Ashton and Aaliyah and pray for them as they graduate um, into the next course, amen, for them. <clears throat> oh, Jesus. Jesus, we thank you for, uh, for this place where you saw fit to, uh, to plant Raymond and to plant Sarah, to grow their family, Lord, and to shape and mold their family, Lord God. As a church, so often, we look at how uh, you're using us to lead and how you're using us to, uh, to disciple and to shape and to mold. <clears throat> but we see in this family, Lord, that, that you place specific and special gifts, Lord, that, uh, that from a place of humility, Lord, and from places oftentimes without title that just affect and infect the rest of the church, Lord. You've done so much through this family, Lord. We pray that you would give them a double portion, Lord. They've given out so much. Uh, whatever they have in their well, Lord God, they always use it to satisfy the thirst mm -hmm. of others, Lord. Mm -hmm. So we just pray that there would be a season of refreshing, yes. that there would be a season of abundance, Lord, mm -hmm. that there would be a season of uh, just peace and, and rest, Lord God. You say that, the, that those who are uh, burdened should come to you and you'll give them rest, Lord God. They've worked so hard. Uh, we just pray for their rest, Lord Jesus. We pray for a hedge of protection. We pray for traveling mercies. We pray for new friends, Lord, and new uh, connections, Lord, there in Colorado, that you would send uh, ones that would love them and that would care for them, Lord, and that would be there for them in the nights and in the days when, when we're not, Lord, and we're not able to, Lord. We just trust you that you're going to do all of those things, Lord. We pray that you would bring to our remembrance all the ways that this family has touched us, Lord God, all the ways that they've helped us, Lord God, that you would give us a special revelation, Lord, to understand the gift, the gift and the blessing that they've been, Lord God. We pray that uh, all the seeds that have been planted in these two young girls, Lord God, in their years here in nursery, Lord God, and four to six and now seven, eleven, Lord, that they would bear much fruit, Lord, that they would blossom, Lord, uh, in the coming years of their lives, Lord. We pray for their schools that they're going to be attending. Lord God, and the teachers that are going to be around them, Lord God. Lord, just protect them, use them, bless them, Lord God. We thank you for this family, Lord. And we just ask that you would have your way, have your will, cover them with the hedge of protection. We love you. We love them. We thank you for the gift that they are. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Praise the Lord. So you have about a month. Grab a hold of them, talk to them, pray with them, um, ask them about stuff. If they've ever helped you, please go pack some bags for them and move boxes. <laughs> they need that repaid as soon as possible. Amen. Can I give this to you, Mary? Thank you, Lord.
then we're still going to be on time. <laughs> I hope. One of the blessings in being in a, in a bit of a smaller church, um, I think, is that we get, we get the opportunity to do things like that um, and to really know each other and to really consider things. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to pray, Lord. Thank you again for the day. Thank you for the worship. Thank you for our leaders, our elder and his wife, Lord, and the other leaders here in this place, God. Continue to bless. Continue to, to minister, Lord. As we get into your word, would you have it come alive? Your, your word is said to be powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, Lord God, piercing us down to the heart, Lord. As we open this this morning, Lord, we desire that it truly would be alive, that you would minister to us, that you would uh, touch us in the depths of our souls this morning, Lord God. We focus all of our attention on you, Lord, as, as we looked at our worship team and as we looked at our kids and as we looked at this couple, Lord, we were looking at the work you were doing in them now, Lord. We just want to focus all upon you uh, for the remainder of our time here this morning, God. Would you bless it? Would you use it, Lord God? Would you, uh, would you help me and help us? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 <clears throat> so our series... We're in week nine now, I believe. I might be a little bit loud, Ray. I'm not sure, but uh, it is the archetype, the original pattern or model of which all things of the same type are representations or copies of, right? The most commonly used meaning is the perfect example of something, and we know that we've been looking at Jesus as the archetype um, of humanity, right? Not just of uh, types of people, but people themselves, and we know that it came from Carl Jung in the 1800s. The ones we still have to look at are the innocent, the ruler, and the hero. The ones we've covered are the caregiver in week one, who cares for us, cares for others, allows himself to be cared for. The rebel who rebels against the things that are not godly, does so in a way that still honors uh, the Lord and still honors family and still honors friendship and all those things. Right? A rebel with a cause. The creator who created all things and gives us a spirit of creativity, right? And everything that he has created. Gary got up here and he mentioned that, that uh, in the prayer course, they went out and they looked at nature and they touched things and they smelled things and they, they tasted things. It's because the creator has given us all these things, right? And when we engage them with that in mind, we can touch the creator. <laughs> we can be in his presence. We can feel him and we can hear him speaking in new ways and powerful ways. We looked at the magician, right? The one who uh, bends reality and is capable of making miracles happen, right? The one who can say all the signs and all the math when you add it up looks like this should be your destiny, this should be your life, this should be your marriage, this should be what happens to your kids. But instead, I'm going to do a miracle and transform and change everything. We get that archetype uh, from Jesus. He is the miracle worker. He is the true magician who's not smoking mirrors, uh, but in control of everything. We saw the orphan, right? The Bible says to care for widows and to care for orphans. He says that this is true religion. And we saw Jesus, uh, the image of or the archetype of an orphan. He's separated from his real father. He's longing to be with his father. Even on the cross, he says, my father, my father, why have you forsaken me? Why have you separated yourself from me? Right? And his whole life, he's wanting to get back to that. But he's also wanting to bring us along with him, right? So understanding that we're all orphans in some way. <clears throat> I don't know about the rest of you, but sometimes you see those commercials and many of us have probably gotten numb to it, right? Who cares if those kids are in an orphanage? Who cares if they don't have parents? The government's taking care of them. I don't want to pay my taxes, right? They're going to tax me more to take care of people who are on wherefore and kids that, that don't have homes. We've got to switch that and get the heart and the mind of God. Amen? Amen. We saw the explorer, right? He's going to these different groups of people. Uh, with a message for them and with a destiny for them. All right, we saw the woman who came to him, um, and, and uh, he told her that uh, she's a little dog and doesn't deserve scraps, and her humiliation, her humility uh, that led to her salvation. Right? Even as I think about Ray and Sarah going off to Colorado, I feel like they're going exploring. Right? They're going to a new place and a new land, but I want them to go with the heart of Christ, that they're not going just to be average, everyday people in the neighborhood. They're going to transform that neighborhood. They're going to transform the school that those kids go to, right? They're going to be a blessing uh, wherever they land for the friends and the family that are out there. Uh, we saw Jesus as the lover right after um, um, Valentine's Day, right? right? This idea that uh, he loves us in a way that nobody else has ever loved us. 
You know, David talked about a love that goes beyond the love of a woman. He was talking about what it means to have a real friend, <laughs> uh, this man-to-man relationship that he was talking about. He says it goes beyond the love of a woman. There's, there's this connection. There's this something that, that's there. We know that Jesus was never married, right? right? So how did he experience love? And the way that we classify love is so small, but he's so big. I think we saw a lot of that. Hopefully, you know, even as I think about it, whatever we can cover in one message isn't enough. I hope you guys are reading your Bible. I hope you guys are praying. I hope you guys are looking for more of his love. Um, and then last week, we saw the jester, the joker, right? The, the, the funny side. We, we looked at a, a donkey that was talking and trying to get somebody to go in the right direction. And, and just all the funny things that I think uh, Jesus did and Jesus said and that God does and God says, where we would say, man, of all the ways you could do something, Lord, why would you choose to do it that way? And I think it has a lot to do with just his sense of humor and knowing who we are. And then this morning, week nine, we're going to look at the archetype of the sage. Say sage. Sage. Say sage. Sage. Say sage. Sage. All right. Sage is a wise man. Um, The best way to look at a a sage or to think about a sage is someone who has both head knowledge and experiential knowledge. Right? You get wisdom over time typically, right? The wisdom of, of the gray hairs that come in, which means that you've lived a little while. You've experienced some things, right? So you don't just have uh, experience only because you could have a ton of bad experiences. You have some type of um, head knowledge, some, some, in our case, biblical knowledge and understanding. And you mix that with your experiences. And what you end up with is a sage, a wise man, a wise woman, a wise person. We have a picture of some of them. Uh, this is Yoda and uh, some of his friends here. This is what we think about when we think of, of wise men, right? Yoda's old and he's been through some things. You got Gandalf, you got Professor Xavier, Morpheus, and then Spock. So super intelligent, old, been through some things. Even Neo, Neo's the one, but he needs Morpheus, right? Morpheus has to explain to him what it means to be the one, right? So think sage, think of old, think of wise, think of experience, all that kind of stuff. I think many of us will picture an old man or we'll picture an old woman. We picture their grandchildren coming to them. And when they come to their grandchildren, the the old woman or the old man, they have like a a riddle for them, right? Or they have some type of saying that forces this grandchild to think about life and think about their situation or circumstance. Maybe you picture a young wife comes to an older woman and she's sitting on the porch in a rocking chair and she's knitting and the young woman comes and her house is a mess, her marriage is a mess, her kids are a mess, and she's ready to throw in the towel, and, and the old woman is there just knitting, and she doesn't say much, only a couple words in the conversation. But by the time the young woman leaves, she feels like, oh man, my situation's not that bad, and I, I see myself a little bit more clearly, and I, I've got hope for my family, I've got hope for my, for my marriage. That's this process that this sage, this wise woman, uh, is capable of, of producing in, in her life. Maybe there's a young man, and an older man tells him, uh, I need your help. I need you to help me move some things in my house, or I need you to help me work on an old car, or, or I've, got, I've got some friends that need some help, and I need your strength to come along with me and, and help me uh, help these other people. And this young man does this consistently, and the young man starts to feel good about himself, right? Like, I'm doing such a good deed, and I'm helping this old man, and he couldn't do any of this stuff without me. But as this young man gets older, he realizes that it was actually the old man that was helping him, right? He was the one that was teaching him and guiding him and and planting seeds into his life. And that it wasn't just by accident. The old man was asking him, come over here and, and go with me to this place and help me to do this thing. But he was doing it with intentionality. He wanted to do something in his life. He wanted to help the young man. And later on, the, uh, the young man would realize that. So we look at these kind of sages. We look at these type of wise people in our lives. And when you read through the scripture, you'll see them all over the place. The book of Proverbs is a, is a book of wisdom, right? Many of you have, have come to know that. Or some people will read the book of Proverbs every day because it says it's the book of, of wisdom. It's written by King Solomon. King Solomon's the son of King David. Solomon's referred to as the richest and the wisest man ever. If you knew that, say amen. How many read the Proverbs? Don't say nothing. All that wisdom is there. We should be reading it. So Solomon is a sage in the sense that he had both head knowledge, right? He understood the word of God. It was passed down to him. He was in it. He was a man of God, all right? Um, But he was also experiential knowledge. When you read through the Proverbs, he was... uh, 
he understood the word of God, but he was living it through his experience, both within the word of God. He would, a lot of times he would do what he was supposed to do and what the word of God said. But a lot of times he also was living outside of the word of God and living a life that was ungodly. Right. That's his experience. So when he speaks to us, he's speaking from experience. He's saying, this is what you should do, and I know that you should do it because the Word of God says that you should do it this way, and I've tried it both ways. You might want to listen to me. That's a sage. That's a wise person, right? Solomon had also evaluated the lives of others. He wasn't just talking about his own experience. I think sometimes that's where we make a mistake with the sages in our lives, with the wise men and the wise women in our lives. We say, well, you haven't been through what I'm going through. You've never lived what I'm living, so you don't have anything to say to me. Wake up, church. <laughs> Wake up and read the word of God and understand what the word of God says and how God works and how God moves, and you'll see things differently. Solomon evaluated everything around him, the people around him, the life around him, the nations around him, and he was able to speak with wisdom about all these things. 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 29 says this, God gave Solomon wisdom and exceedingly great understanding and largeness of heart like the sand on the seashore. Thus Solomon's wisdom excelled the wisdom of all the men of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt. For he was wiser than all men, than Ethan the Ezraite, Haman, Chakal, Tarda, the sons of Mahal, and his fame was in all the surrounding nations. He spoke 3,000 proverbs and his songs were 1,005. Also, he spoke of trees from the cedar tree of Lebanon, even to the hyssop that springs out of the wall. He spoke also of animals, of birds, of creeping things, and of fish, and of men, of all nations, from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom, came to hear the wisdom of Solomon. See what it means to be a sage? <laughs> Everybody from everywhere is like, this guy is different. We got to get to him. We want to hear from him. We want to hear what he has to say. We want to receive that and absorb that. He's talking about life. He's talking about marriage. He's talking about men. He's talking about women. He's talking about science and trees. And, and it's amazing. There's learning and wisdom that leads to life. Yes. Right? It's sought out for life, right? Like, Solomon wanted all this knowledge, but, but he's looking to, to produce more life and to help more people. There's that kind of learning and that kind of wisdom, that kind of knowledge used to bless others. And then there's learning that's sought for yourself. You just want to be smarter. You just want to be better. Right? You just want to be more knowledgeable than the next person. Or you're just seeking knowledge for itself. Two different types of wisdom. Right? In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 7, Paul says that that second type of person, it says, is always learning, but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Many of us know a lot of people who are smart. Many of us know a lot of people who have figured out the way that the world works, but they never come to the knowledge of the truth of Jesus and salvation and surrender and blessing others. It's all about themselves, right? Think about the way that we even raise our kids nowadays, right? How many of us as parents have talked to our kids and said, not only do I want you to get good grades, but I really want you to be a type of person that helps somebody else get good grades in your class. Is there anybody that's struggling that you could help? We don't even think that way. Like that, I'm, I'm, I'm with you guys. I haven't said that to my kids. Why? Because it's not about others. <laughs> it's about them. I was talking to somebody about sports now and, and basketball and how Parents jump from team to team and all this kind of stuff because we don't care about the team anymore. you got to get your son, and if they ain't going to play you enough, and if they ain't going to train you enough, we're going to jump to the next team. We're losing this idea of knowledge and blessings for the sake of others. Yeah, that's right. Paul says <clears throat> there are people who are like that. They're, they're always learning, but they never come to the knowledge of the truth. Man, what would, where would we be without sages? <laughs> where would we be without wise men and women? Where would we be without the church? So here's some wisdom from our sage, Solomon. <clears throat> and this is wisdom that's passed down from his father, David, to him and then to you. Say me. me. Say me. me. Amen. There's some of you that refuse to say it when I say it. Say me. me. Amen. It's okay to be led, guys. It's okay. <laughs> Proverbs chapter 4. This is from David, from God to David, to Solomon, to me, and hopefully to you. Listen to the wisdom. Proverbs 4.1. Hear, my children, the instruction of a father. And give attention to no understanding. For I give you good doctrine. Do not forsake my law. 
When I was my father's son, this is Solomon saying, when I was my father's son in the same house, I was tender and the only one inside of my mother. He also taught me and said to me, this is David saying, no son, let your heart retain my words. Keep my commands and live. Get wisdom. Get understanding. Do not forget, nor turn away from the words of my mouth. <clears throat> Do not forsake her. Talking about wisdom. And she will preserve you. Love her and she'll keep you. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. And in all your getting, get understanding. Exalt her and she will promote you. She will bring you honor when you embrace her. She will place on your head an ornament of grace, a crown of glory. She will deliver you. Hear my son and receive my sayings and the years of your life will be many. I have taught you in the way of wisdom. I have led you in right paths. When you walk, your steps will not be hindered. And when you run, you will not stumble. Take firm hold of instruction and do not let go. Keep her for she is your life. Do not enter the path of the wicked and do not walk in the way of the evil. Avoid it. Do not travel on it. Turn away from it and pass on. For they do not sleep unless they have done evil. And their sleep is taken away unless they make someone fall. For they eat the bread of wickedness and they drink the wine of violence. I got to stop there for a second. Evil, evil people drink the bread of wickedness and, and, and um, eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. And think about communion. We, we drink the bread that, is, that uh, or we eat the bread that is the, the body of God, the body of Christ. And we drink the wine that is the blood of Christ. Think about how, how that contrast between the evil and the righteous. <clears throat> Verse 18, the path of the just is like the shining sun. It shines even brighter unto the perfect day. The way of the wicked is like darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble. My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart. For they are life to those who find them, and they are health to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. Put away from you a deceitful mouth and put perverse lips far from you. Let your eyes look straight ahead and your eyelids look right before you. Ponder the path of your feet. And let your ways be established. Do not turn to the right or to the left. Remove from your foot evil. It's good wisdom. Amen? Amen. I think you can hear how this is the word of God, but it's also the wisdom of the word of God being worked out. You see the difference? You can have the wisdom of God, right? Just, just read the word. It's there. Read Proverbs. It tells you, do this, don't do that. But what Solomon is doing here and what David was doing here, he's saying, this is the word of God, but let me show you how it works out when you're living it and when you're walking in it. He says to him, don't think that they're just evil for the sake of evil. They don't even know what they're doing. They can't even control themselves. They can't even sleep at night because something is grabbing a hold of them saying, you've got to do this. You've got to do this. You've got to do this to that person. He's, he's, the sage is wrestling out the things of God in real life. So I want to do something with you guys this morning, but you've got to really focus and participate with me. Last week, we, we uh, started worship, and Yvette shared about God doing a new thing, and I shared with you guys about um, how when we close our eyes, we're able to have time without space. I don't know how many of you are here when we started worship, but try to be here when we start. This idea of time without space is that space, or what we see, often tells us where we are and what time it is, Right? So when you open your eyes, you're like, okay, I'm in the church. You can see the sun shining through some of those blinds. Oh, it's daytime. So what you see tells you where you are, and it tells you what time it is. It gives you a framework for what you're going to experience. Say amen if you're with me. Amen. Okay? So when we close our eyes, we get time without space. All of a sudden, it doesn't matter where we are. We could be at the very throne of God. Right? Because we don't have space informing us. We have our reality, our spiritual reality informing us. Another thing that space does is that not only are you able to see where you are and what time it is and all that kind of stuff, but you're able to see other people and it's inevitable that you're going to judge your experience by their experience, right? When I open my eyes, I say, okay, right now I'm a little bit higher than everybody. And then you can say, well, this person's further away from me and that person's closer and this person's further from God and that person's closer to God, right? 
It's because of what we're seeing in space, we make all these assumptions and these evaluations. So, with that being said, what I'm gonna ask you to do is close your eyes, stop holding your spouse's hand, bow your heads, close your eyes. We're gonna turn down the lights. I'm gonna ask you to just take a couple of deep breaths, a couple of deep breaths. And I was able to find wisdom, the actual person of wisdom. And I want to introduce you to her, and she wants to share something with you, but I'm going to ask that you would just keep your eyes closed, picture yourselves in, in actual heaven, and here she is coming up to you, and she has something she wants to say to you. So if you've never read that before, that's Proverbs chapter 8. I, I would encourage you guys to mark it down where wisdom is personified. Uh, I don't know if this sounds like this for you guys in your lives, but wisdom always sounds like my wife to me. <laughs> As a side note real quick, I always remember this chapter because it was probably about three or four years ago, Susie, I think, called me and she said, I'm trying to understand this and what does it mean and is wisdom this, is wisdom that? And, and I just had the same conversation with Mary a couple of weeks ago. Uh, just a powerful, powerful uh, chapter in the scriptures about wisdom being there and how God um, used wisdom. I want to just share a part that really stood out to me, verse 20. Wisdom says, I traverse the way of righteousness in the midst of the paths of justice, that I may cause those who love me to inherit wealth, that I may fill their treasuries. Think about that. I traverse the path, the way of righteousness and the path of justice. If you want wisdom, Get in the way of righteousness and the path of justice, and their wisdom is traversing. Wisdom is moving in that area. Think about that for a second. Then she says in verse 22, The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his way, before his works of old. I have been established from everlasting, from the beginning before there was ever an earth. Wisdom has been with God. Wisdom is in God. Wisdom is God um, from the beginning. Right? He's the ever-existing one, as Proverbs 8 is telling us. Jesus is the archetype of the sage, the archetype of wisdom. So let's look at Jesus. Luke chapter 2, verse 45. When they did not find Jesus, they returned to Jerusalem seeking him. Now so it was that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and his answers. So when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said, son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. And he said to them, why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? Jesus is 12 years old here. And where do you find a 12-year-old? At the church, in the temple, listening to the teachers and also asking them questions. That's called active listening. (laughs) I'm hearing what you have to say, but I want to know, pastor. I want to know, teacher. I want to know, course leader, what does this mean? How does this work? And it says that not only that, but Jesus was also had to be doing some teaching of his own because they said they were astonished with what he had to say. The answers he was giving and the things that he had to say. We heard earlier this morning from Gary about some of our 11 and 12 year olds in a prayer course. That a grown man and an elder is is learning more from some of our young people than he can from some of the men in the church when it comes to prayer. Wisdom is not necessarily an issue of age as much as it is an issue of understanding and humility and application. Right? You could be one of the younger people in the church, but if you will receive the word of God, understand it, be humble and apply it to your life, you'll have more wisdom than some of the older people in the church. There's people who can understand, but they won't apply it to their life. They could read the word plainly and see what it says to do, but they won't do it in, the, in their life. And what Gary said was that their purity and their innocence. Why do you think Jesus says, I want childlike faith? Because when I ask a child to do something, they're going to do it. 1 Timothy 4.12, Paul says to Timothy, let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, and in purity. I look at our young people here, right? Our youth and our young adults. Why? Do you need to be led instead of leading? When I read the scriptures, it says right here, don't let your youth be despised. Be an example to the other believers. Some of these young people have started to show up to our men's fellowship, which is awesome. Right? 
still in high school or, or just out of high school, young adults, and they're showing up to men's fellowship, I believe that they're going to be the next generation of, of leaders. Right. One of them might fill Ray's shoes before some of us. <laughs> That's crazy. But it's what we see in the scriptures. Jesus is our archetype for what it means to be wise in our youth. Jesus is the archetype for what it means to be wise in our youth. He didn't wait for his family. He didn't wait for others to lead him. He did what needed to be done. He went where he needed to go, and he was an example. All right. Mark chapter 6, verse 1. Then he went out from there, and he came to his own country, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath had come, Jesus began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this which is given to him? That such mighty works are performed by his hands. Started when he was 12, and here he is as an older man. And what is he doing? The same thing. He's in the church. He's preaching. He's teaching. And people are like, where does he get this stuff from? It was one of the most consistent questions that they asked about Jesus in his adulthood was, where does he get this wisdom and teaching and power? How did he get like that? Where did it come from? In John chapter 7, verse 15, says the Jews marveled, saying, how does this man know the letters, having never studied? He would come into a church or the synagogue, and he'd start preaching and teaching, and they'd be like, he never studied. He wasn't raised in the best family. He didn't go to the best schools. He didn't have the best person discipling him. He couldn't afford to get the education that you're supposed to have to be able to do this. How does he do it? Mark 12, or excuse me, Mark 1, says, They were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. See, the scribes were the lawyers of the day. They knew the Torah. The Torah was the law. They were lawyers. They knew it uh, by memory, right? But the people would say, when they teach us, it's not the same as when Jesus teaches us. And he didn't study. He's not a lawyer. How does he have authority when he speaks? And they don't really have that same kind of authority. The scribes had the law without the spirit. And Jesus had the law and the spirit. The spirit of the law. You've heard, you ever heard of that, that, that saying, uh, you know, the letter of the law? Like there's a rule and this is why that rule exists or this is why that law exists. But there's a spirit behind that law. There's a spirit behind that rule. And what they're saying is Jesus, he has the law, he has the letter, but he also has the spirit. He knows why this is important. And that's how he preaches it and that's how he teaches it. In John 4, 23, the, the, the sage, the wise man, the archetype, Jesus says, the hour is coming and now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. He's saying, the Lord wants men and women like me who know the word and they have the spirit. They have the head knowledge, but they also have the life experience and wisdom of how this actually works out in the real world. So I want to look at his wisdom. I want to look at his sageness in John chapter 7. I want to start from the beginning of John chapter 7 where we were last week. Um, and I, I got the picture now. Remember we, the story of he told his brothers he wasn't going and then he decided to go? That's where this chapter started. Uh, we'll start last week. This is the picture I forgot to send them, right? He's like, no, I ain't going. You guys go ahead. And then he's like, are they gone? I'm going, I'm going. See, I told you, he's the jester. So this is John chapter 7. We'll, we'll catch up through there and then listen to the rest of what he has to say, this idea of sage, this idea of wisdom. John 7, 1. After these things, Jesus walked in Galilee, for, Galilee, for he did not want to walk in Judea because the Jews sought to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of tabernacles was at hand. His brothers therefore said to him, Depart from here and go into Judea, that your disciples also may see the works that you're doing. For no one does anything in secret while he himself seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For even his brothers did not believe in him. Then Jesus said to them, My time has not yet come, but your time is always ready. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify of it that its works are evil. Remember all that stuff that, that wisdom had to say about evil? You go up to the feast, he says to his brothers. I'm not yet going up to this feast, for my time has not yet fully come. When he had said these things to them, he remained in Galilee. But when his brothers had gone up, then he also went up to the feast. Not openly, but as it were in secret. Then the Jews sought him at the feast and said, where is he? 
And there was much complaining among the people concerning him. Some said, he's good. Others said, no, on the contrary, he deceives the people. However, no one spoke openly of him for fear of the Jews. Now about the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and he taught. And the Jews marveled, saying, how does this man know letters having never studied? Jesus answered him and said, my doctrine is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone wants to, to do his will, he shall know concerning the doctrine, whether it is from God or whether I speak on my own authority. He who speaks from himself seeks his own glory, but he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is true, and no unrighteousness is in him. Did not Moses give you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? The people answered and said, you have a demon who is seeking to kill you. Jesus answered and said to them, I did one work and you all marvel. Moses therefore gave you circumcision, not that it is from Moses, but from the fathers, and you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses should not be broken, are you angry with me because I made a man completely well on the Sabbath? You hear that sage, like the old man on the, on the, on the bench talking? He's like, look, Moses gave you the, the circumcision, and it could be the Sabbath, and you'll circumcise on the Sabbath so that you don't break the law, right? Even though you're breaking the Sabbath law. He says, but I made somebody completely well. They were crippled. Uh, they had a hand that was withered. I made them completely well, and somehow you're angry with me. That old man, that sage, that life wisdom, forcing these people to think about what they're saying. Verse 24, do not judge, Jesus says to them, do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. Now some of them from Jerusalem said, is this not he whom they seek to kill? But look, he speaks boldly and they say nothing to him. Do the rulers know indeed that this is truly the Christ? However, we know where this man is from. But when the Christ comes, no one knows where he's from. Then Jesus cried out as he taught in the temple, saying, You both know me, and you know where I'm from. And I have not come of myself, but he who sent me is true, whom you do not know. But I know him, for I am from him, and he sent me. Therefore they sought to take him, but no one laid a hand on him, because his hour had not yet come. And many of the people believed in him and said, When the Christ comes, will he do more signs than these which this man has done? The Pharisees heard the crowd murmuring these things concerning him. And the Pharisees and chief priests sent officers to take him. And Jesus said to them, I shall be with you a little while longer. And then I go to him who sent me. You will seek me and not find me. And where I am, you cannot come. Then the Jews said among themselves, where does he intend to go that we shall not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What is this thing that he said, you'll seek me and not find me, and where I am, you cannot come? On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. You see the Spirit in truth? Come to me, and you'll have rivers of living water flow in you. So they, say, they understand that truth. If you come to him, there's something about life. But what they don't understand is the spiritual side. What he's talking about is the Holy Spirit, and they have no idea about it yet because it hasn't been poured out. Right? Verse 40, therefore many from the crowd, when they heard this saying, said, truly this is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, will the Christ come out of Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the seed of David and from the town of Bethlehem from where David was? So there was a division among the people because of him. Now some of them wanted to take him, but no one laid hands on him. Then the officers came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to him, said to them, why have you not brought him? The officers said, the officers answered, no man ever spoke like this man. Think about that for a second. They, the Pharisees and chief priests, they send their guard, they send their, their Jewish soldiers, go get him and bring him to us. They come back without him. They're like, well, where is he? And he said, man, listen, we got over there and this dude was preaching. <laughs> and I wanted to grab him, but I never heard anything like that before. I think he was glowing. I, I, I tried to grab him. I couldn't do it. So amazing. No man ever spoke like this man. Then the Pharisees answered them, Are you deceived? Have any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed in him? 
But this crowd that does not know the law, you are cursed. Nicodemus, who came to Jesus by night, being one of them, said to them, Does our law, our law judge a man before it hears him and knows what he's doing? They answered and said to him, Are you also from Galilee, Nicodemus? Search and look. No prophet has arisen out of Galilee, and everyone went to his own house. Great story, great chapter. The sage, the wise man, wisdom of God. A couple things I want to point out. Number one, wisdom and sage status come from God. Wisdom and sage status come from God. Verse 15, the Jews marveled. How does this man know letters having never studied? Jesus answered, and he said to them, my doctrine is not mine, but it is who sent me. Right? How do you get that kind of wisdom? How do you get that kind of sage status? It's not about you. It's about God. It comes from God. Jesus didn't say, because I'm special and because of this and because I learned this and I studied there. He said, no, what I'm telling you is in, it's not mine. I, this came from my father. He gave it to me and now I'm giving it to you. You want to be wise in this world? It's not about something new that you can do. It's not about some new conversation you can have. It's not about something you learn in your experience and now you're going to pass it on to somebody else. It's about the things of God that you've been able to receive and apply into your life and being able to share those with other people. God's things, not your things. Acts chapter 17, verse 18. This is how it happens in, in uh, Paul's life. A certain Epicurean, a Stoic philosopher, encountered Paul, and some said, what does this babbler want to say? Others said, he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. They took him and they brought him to the Areopagus, saying, may we know what this new doctrine is of which you speak? For you're bringing some strange things to our ears, Therefore, we want to know what these things mean. For all the Athenians and the foreigners who were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. Then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing, him I proclaim to you. God, who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands, as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. It says this about the Athenians and the Greeks. It says that they spend their whole day wanting to hear something new or say something new. They spend their whole day on Facebook wanting to read something new or post something new. They spend their whole day on the phone with their girlfriends talking about who did what and who said what and where they're at and who they're with. That's the condition of the world that we live in. It, they even said he's a babbler, he's, he's strange doctrine, it, it sounds crazy and it's about this resurrection, but we want to hear, tell us more, tell us more. And what does Paul do? The same thing that Jesus says. Paul doesn't start saying, I got something new that nobody's ever heard of. Let me tell you about it. He says, no, I want to tell you the truth about who God is, where he's come from and how he wants to be worshipped. I walk down your street. You guys have 852 gods, which means you're willing to worship anything or anyone. But at least you had the one that said the unknown God, because I want to tell you that I know him. Wisdom and sage status isn't about what you have come to know and anything that you like and any new idea or novel idea. It's about God and his word and the truth about who he is. You want to be a sage like Solomon, like Paul, right? Like Jesus. This is where your wisdom comes from. I testify about it all the time. Before I got saved, I would talk to anybody about anything and I thought I knew everything. When I got saved, it was, couldn't have been more than two or three days of starting to read this book, and I realized I don't know anything. Amen. The things I know have no value. They don't help anybody. They don't make me better. It doesn't make them better. I should just keep my mouth shut all the time. And when I finally started to open my mouth again, the only thing I could say that I knew would have some value is the things that are written in this book. Amen. And for the last 15 or so years, that's all I talk about because it's the only thing that matters. Number two, wisdom brings crisis. Wisdom brings crisis. 
In John chapter 8, verse 30, the Bible says, Jesus spoke these words and many believed in him. And Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, if you abide in my word and you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. When we listen to Jesus, when he speaks, we get wisdom and we get freedom, right? You get the truth from him. And what will end up happening from that, if you become a disciple and you, you apply that truth, you will be set free from the things that have held you captive and in bondage. But what happens is there's a clash between what you already know, what you think you know, and what you already believe. When that comes into contact with what Jesus says, there's a clash, right? Don't, don't preach at me things that go against what I think. I already have a way that I want to deal with my marriage. I already have a way that I want to deal with my finances. I already have a way I want to deal with my kids. I already have a way that I want to deal with my job, right? So don't tell me something else that's contrary to that because then there's a clash. All of a sudden there's this new truth. There's this new wisdom and there is a clash between what I already have within me. Back to our story in John chapter 7. This is verse 31. It says, many of the people believed in him and they said, when the Christ comes, will he do more signs than these which this man has done? The Pharisees heard the crowd murmuring these things concerning him and the Pharisees and chief priests sent officers to take him. There's a clash. People are like, this sounds like new truth. This sounds really good. He, he must be the Christ. And the Pharisees are like, no, he's not the Christ. It's not true. Stay with us and what we've taught you and what we've told you and how we live. And everybody has a crisis. Which way are you going to go? There's full truth and there's half truth. And they clash in our story this morning where they even say, isn't he supposed to come from Bethlehem? This, this guy's from Galilee. They don't even know the whole story, that he was actually born in Bethlehem. They're so close, but they're yet so far. To me, that's the worst. I'd rather be a stone-cold sinner and going to hell or fully saved and going to heaven than being so close and thinking you're religious and thinking you're saved and end up in hell. Being one of the people where you get there, and what does Jesus say? Flee from me, I never knew you. We cast out demons in your name. We went to church every week. We gave our tithe. We read. We even prayed like at least once every one or two weeks with our family like Gary told us to do. We did all that. Flee from me, I never knew you. When that clash happened, you didn't choose truth. You weren't willing to walk away from everything for me. Never fully surrendered. You went with the wisdom of the world, and you went with your own wisdom rather than mine. So I want to close by looking at the sage and the cross. So we have this story of, of Jesus in all these different ways. This last one is the sage and the cross, the wisdom of the cross. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 17. Paul says, Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with the wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since the wisdom in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God. It pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign and Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him you are in Christ Jesus who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. The wisdom of the cross. God in his wisdom <laughs> chooses the foolish things 
The foolishness of the cross tells us that the hero dies for the villains. That's crazy. God says of all the ways that he could have done it, and most people would say of all the ways that he could have done it, it's foolish to say God's going to come into the world and God's going to die. And he's going to die for a bunch of people who are unrighteous. We, we can't even live that way. We go crazy when we think somebody got over on us or got away with something. Yeah. And God, it says, in his wisdom, right? He's so wise <laughs> that he's well beyond our thinking and all the way back to the place where he says, no, actually, I'm going to have the righteous die for the unrighteous. The average and the weak and the poor and the outcast, those are going to be my kings and my queens. The people who were the last to get chosen in the world are going to be the first to get chosen in my church. The people who couldn't talk are going to be the preachers. The people who are the most selfish are going to be the ones who are giving the most to others. Paul says, we preach Christ crucified. This whole book is amazingly important, church, and I live by it. I'll die with it. <laughs> but what Paul's saying here is like, all of this is great if you get the first part right. So what he says is, when I come into a place, I preach Christ crucified. Most people don't get saved. That's why he says not many wise chosen. Most people don't get saved because you've convinced them that this is true, right? You're not going to sit down with somebody for six months and say, well, let me tell you why this verse is true. And then let me tell you why this happened and why that happened. And let me like... Most people don't say, oh, you know what? I've, I've finally been convinced. I'm down for Jesus now. Let's roll. What happens to people is when they hear about the cross, when they hear about the fact that they're a sinner, when they hear that there's no way to heaven except for being saved by a completely righteous one, and they begin to think about it and say, let me hold that truth up to the truth that I already believe. I tell people that I'm a good person. I tell people that I think I'm fine. I tell people I don't need God. I tell people if that's what I got to do to get with God, that I don't want it. But in, in my real heart, there's something really going on here when you tell me about this cross and you tell me about him being crucified and then Jesus shows up and reveals himself. That's how people get saved. By preaching the cross. By preaching Christ crucified. That's how people come to faith. And then Jesus says this. I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. And he says, where is the wise? Think about the people in your life that always wanted to tell you something. Always wanted to teach you something. Always told you how you should be living your life and living your, your marriage and living your family and doing all that kind of stuff. Where are they at now? Where are they at when you really need them? Anything that's been advised to you other than the word of God, has it helped? Has it produced what they told you it would produce? Are they there with you to pick up the pieces? Like God told you that he'd be there for you to pick up the pieces? Where's the wise? Where are they? Where's the scribe? Where's the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? I have to say that I love them all, but, but Jesus as the, the archetype of the sage, the wise man, I just want to sit at his feet and listen to what he had to say. Yes. I want to hold that up when people have things to say to me and say, does that line up with the word of God? Is that what Jesus says? If it is, I'll walk in it. And I would expect other men and women to walk in that. If it's not, we do away with it. But if you don't know the difference, we need to sit at the feet of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. Why don't we pray? <clears throat> we preach Christ crucified. So the first thing I want to do is just pray for, as always, just salvation. You know, every time I bring that scripture up, I, re I remember what it was like to, uh, to not know if I was really saved, to feel like, man, I, I know I raised my hand, and I, I know I went down to the altar, or I know that I was prayed for, and I know I really meant it when I said it, but I'm still a sinner, and something doesn't feel right, and I just keep raising, raising my hand, and I would keep going back to the altar, and I remember what that season of my life was like. <clears throat> I never wanted to, to get to the gates and, and hear him say, flee from me, I never knew you. 
you know, our, our salvation course and, and one of the books that we have now it says, uh, it's titled, Stop Asking Jesus Into Your Heart. <laughs> it seems counter-religious and anti-Christian, but, but the author is saying, if you really know what salvation is and you really know how it comes to you and you really know that it's not about you, it's about the word of God and what Jesus said. It's about the cross. It's about that work being finished. When he was on the cross, it says, it is finished. Even if you waver, he never wavers. Even if you doubt, he never doubts. Even if you backslide, he knows you're coming back home. The church would tell you, once saved, always saved. And people ask me about that all the time. Is it once saved, always saved? And I always answer that, uh, if it's truly saved, always saved. There's a lot of people who were never truly saved, never really surrendered, never really asked and repented, never really asked the Lord and committed themselves to the Lord and followed the Lord. But for those who have, you'll always be saved. He'll never let you go. He told his father, he said, of those you gave me, I've lost none except for the, the son of perdition. That was Judas because he never really gave himself to Jesus. So it's real simple. The way to be saved is to truly repent, truly ask for salvation in Jesus, and then fully surrender your life to him. So if you're here, I'll ask everybody to bow your heads, close your eyes. If you're not sure, but you want to be sure, if you uh, find yourself struggling and wavering and, and uncertain about your salvation, if you have fear come into your heart when that scripture is read about getting to the gates and having the Lord say to you, flee from me, I never knew you. I want to pray with you for your salvation this morning. I want to pray with you that also that it would be confirmed so that you would know that you don't have to continue to ask, that that would be uh, done in your life and you can focus on being a disciple of Christ. If that's you and you just want prayer for your salvation and confirmation for your salvation and, and just that part of this to, to be gone from you, would you raise your hand? I want to see you. I want to pray for you. Hallelujah, Lord. Want to be certain? Amen. I see you, sis. He wants you to be certain. I see you, young man. He wants you to be certain. He's more sure of you than you are. Believe me. He knows who he's chosen. Anybody else would join these two? Just want to be certain. Hallelujah, Lord. For the rest of us, I'm going to open the altar for, for prayer. You can pray if there's anything that ministered to you in the area of wisdom. But the one I have in my notes here is just strength to seek after wisdom. You know, the, the scripture said, get wisdom. David told Solomon, Solomon told us, get wisdom, get understanding, go after it. Raymond said, dive in, go deeper. These things aren't just going to happen to you. You will not, you'll get old, but you won't get wise. <laughs> if you want prayer in that area, to so say, Lord, I want to be wise. I want to get wisdom. I want to pursue you. I want to know your word. I want to have your presence. I want to be in your presence. Have your spirit, spirit and truth, all those kind of things. It's not just going to happen to you. You have to go after it. So that's what I'm opening the altar for, Lord. Would you bless those who have asked, Lord, for confirmation in their salvation? They don't want any more confusion. They don't want any more doubt or uncertainty, Lord. They're going to have issues in life. They're going to have seasons that are better, one from another, Lord God. But let them just be sure of their salvation as they leave this place, Lord, that it's in your hands. You will not let them go. They have repented. They do love you. They do understand that the only answer for their sin is you. What you've done on that cross for them, Lord God. You don't desire that they would remain confused, Lord, or uncertain. You want them to be sure of you. I ask that you would do that, Lord. For those that would come, Lord, whatever they're coming for, would you meet them here at this altar, Lord God? Would you bless them, Lord? For those who are coming to, to begin or to renew, Lord, to rededicate themselves to seeking after wisdom, Lord, to seeking after understanding, Lord, to setting aside time to pray, to setting aside time to be in your word, Lord God. Would you bless them, empower them, Lord? We heard earlier that when you send your sons and daughters out, Lord, that you give them everything they need. They're coming, Lord, to get resourced. They're coming to this altar, Lord, to get blessed by you to help them follow you and serve you, Lord. As we receive communion, Lord, we heard that there are those who drink the wine of violence, Lord God. Mm. 
eat the bread of sinfulness, Lord God, but not us. We come to break the bread of righteousness, Lord. We receive communion knowing that it is the perfect body that was broken for us, Lord, that it was the perfect blood that was shed for us, Lord. Completely righteous, completely holy, Lord, and we get to partake in that. We get to receive you once again, Lord. Have your way. Bless your people. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Amen. You're released. Altars are open. Communion is open. If you want prayer, if you need prayer, our prayer team will pray with you. Hallelujah, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. I was nowhere you came to my rescue. From the grave I've been raised. When I needed a savior to save me, Jesus, you made a way. For listening. The Way would love you to visit our church at 451 West Lambert Road, Suite 204 in the city of Brea. Our service times are Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. and Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. For more information, please visit our website at www.thewaybrea.com or you can download our church app by visiting your app store and searching The Way Brea. Be blessed.